a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, the purpose of this program is not to tell you what to think. It's to encourage you to think as clearly and independently as possible. That's because truth isn't something that's just handed to you by someone in authority. It's something we have to go after ourselves. That's why it's essential we don't allow our thinking to become hyper-focused on who or what we're against. We should be more certain about who we are individually and what we stand for. So I invite you to come find courage and camaraderie among your fellow wrong thinkers and above all, to claim your heritage as a free individual. Because that's how you can make the difference that you were born to make. Our program is brought to you by great sponsors like MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, also the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, and GovernYourIncome.com. So let's, uh, let's jump in. Let's just start right out by talking about how uh, freedom is being redefined as something very different from how most of us traditionally grew up understanding it. For instance, one of the definitions that I'm hearing these days is, well, you know, freedom is only possible when you are in full compliance with what you're being told to do. In other words, as soon as people do everything they're told, then we can be free. I wish I were making this up. I wish I wish this wasn't, uh, you know, just a bit of satire. What, are you reading the Babylon Bee here? Nope. Seriously, that's that's how some people think. Isn't that funny how that works? It's usually people in power who are suggesting this. Only after you have done everything that I'm telling you to do can you truly be considered free. In fact, let's consult George Orwell. Hey, would the Ministry of Truth sign off on this? What's that? Freedom is slavery. War is peace. Ignorance is strength. Got it. Such is the world we're living in right now. Got a great uh, article here from John Sanders. This is from the American Institute for Economic Research. And it's a timeless reminder from the great writer C.S. Lewis about why it's so important to hold the line to defend truth so that we're not tamed by tireless propaganda. Now, John Sanders starts with uh, telling us about a lawsuit by 118 firefighters, police officers, and other city employees against the city of Raleigh, North Carolina's vaccination mandate against them. And it prompted this reaction by the editors of the declining local paper, The News and Observer. You ready for a little outrage? All right, here's what the editors of the newspaper said. Quote, in Raleigh, the police holdouts say their refusal is about freedom. In its letter to the city, the city, of, the city of Raleigh, Freedom to Choose Coalition, said that its members are not opposed to vaccines, but they oppose top-down mandates, coercion, and control. Fundamentally, CRFC is for freedom and for respect of the individual. But the newspaper says, no, officers refusing to get vaccinated is not about freedom. It's about shirking their duty, end quote. Now, John Sanders says, okay, the city's first responders who never shirked their duty, even during the early days of COVID, while the editors and the rest of the laptop set stayed at smug at home, clearly understand freedom to be for the individual in opposition to state coercion. 
The editor's redirection, meanwhile, is tacit acknowledgement that freedom is desirable, but they're compelled to repackage freedom as something unseemly so they can then recast state coercion as freedom. Yeah, it's a pretty nifty bit of rhetorical sleight of hand. The Raleigh ruckus is merely a fresh example in the statist's long war to redefine freedom, but one that's been waged with greater intensity nationwide amid all the COVID-excused mandates, from lockdowns to mask orders to now vaccination mandates. Your freedom to open your non-essential business or work your non-essential job, which, by the way, is very much essential to you and your family, was reframed as asserting your freedom to infect. An individual's choice not to adopt a government dress code, meaning the freedom to choose where and whether to don a face mask, was really declaring a freedom to kill grandma. Same with the vaccination mandates and whatever future orders are yet dreamed up. I have the freedom to kill you with my COVID, is how President Joe Biden characterized these concerns in an October 21st appearance on CNN. Now, John Sanders says, look, such denigration and acidic vituperation of freedom, what Americans have normally referred to and understood as freedom, reminds me of an obscure C.S. Lewis poem, The Prudent Jailer. Now, the poem originated not in political allegory, but as a critique of unimaginative literary criticism. Notwithstanding, the jailer is a diabolical figure, and and his prudence is this, he imprisons with words rather than walls. Only six stanzas long, the poem opens with prisoners suffering from nostalgia and escape fantasies. Here's the poem. Always the old nostalgia, yes. We still remember times before. We had learned to wear the prison dress, or steel rings rubbed our ankles sore. Escapists, yes. Looking at bars and chains, we think of files, and then of black nights without moon or stars and luck befriending hunted men. Meanwhile, they languish in envy of free travelers. Still, when we hear the trains at night, we envy the free travelers, whirled in how few moments past the sight of the blind wall that bounds our world. And John Sanders says that stanza draws to mind the famous opening of Johnny Cash's Folsom Prison Blues. I hear the train a-coming, it's rolling round the bend, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison and time keeps dragging on, but that train keeps a-rolling on down to San Antone. Now Cash's train passes a real, tangible prison, and he sings the blues of a murderer who admits, I know I had it coming, I know I can't be free. Lewis's prisoners, however, are bound by a blind wall. What does that mean? Well, the next stanza offers clues. Our jailer, well he may, well may he, prefers our thoughts should keep a narrower range. The proper study of prisoners is prison, he tells us. Is it strange? So the jailer has them imprisoned by their own thoughts, while he keeps them focused ever on the presumption of a prison. He doesn't want them thinking of anything else. Now, John Sanders says in the early days of COVID, governors and media all suddenly started promoting a new normal. April 15th, 2020 seemed like it was declared a new normal day with several several governors suddenly making new normal pronouncements. In this new normal, we were told, people would no longer enjoy life as they once did. They were keeping us focused on normalizing what we thought were temporary emergency measures. Now, if you seemed willing to call the euphemism for what it was, advocacy of the abnormal, 
including an especially abnormal expansion of government power against the individual. This new abnormal needed an abnormal notion of freedom, which the reliable proponents of state coercion in media, academia, and uh, entertainment have been very happy to provide. And the mandates offered them a prudent substitute. The masks are freedom, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine told PBS NewsHour back on October 7th of 2020. Social distancing gives us freedom, and these COVID-19 tests give us freedom. That sure sounds Orwellian from just a little ways down the road, doesn't it? New York Times contributor Michael Tomaski did a very Timesian thing on October 17th of 2020. By simultaneously deriding freedom as manifest silliness and something incessantly talked about by talked about wholly on the right, but that nevertheless must be harnessed by the broad left in America. To what end? Well, to play some philosophical offense, especially on the issue of wearing masks. Say this, freedom means the freedom not to get infected by the idiot who refuses to mask up. Ah, diplomatic, that one. Now we're being told that vaccines mean freedom. In the words of a July 30th, 2021 column in The Atlantic, judging by the examples provided, this conception of freedom is being able to attend a baseball game, to go to church, to hold a job or get an education. Vaccines offer us the freedom to participate, the freedom to circulate back in the world, the freedom to be human again. Yeah, but only as long as you're up to date. Now, John Sanders says, in contrast with this new definition of freedom, the, the, the Atlantic erected several straw men caricatures of freedom. Caricatures of freedom, I should say. Absolute anarchic freedom. Irresponsible freedom. The freedom to not wear a mask with the assurance they'll be well taken care of at a hospital if they do get sick. And access to social media and the connection to American culture that comes with it. All the rights, privileges, and benefits of human community without any sense of obligation to be responsible participants in that community. And freedom without repercussions. Good Lord, I hope they had their uh, blood pressure medication on hand. Because I'm seriously worried for them, whoever wrote that. (laughs) We're going to come back to John Sanders' article in just a few moments. It is linked in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Listen, if you subscribe at my website... It ain't going to cost you a thing, but I will happily send you my show notes in your email each day that I do the show. It's a pretty sweet deal. Maybe you should jump on that. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Once again, if you've stuck with me this far, hopefully you can, you can make it through the entire show. My goal is not to make you uh, frightened. It's not to make you angry. I'm not to, to here to make you more certain of who and what you're against. But I am definitely doing my best to persuade people think more deeply, think more independently, even if that means you disagree with me. Own your worldview and do not allow people to play word games that uh, manipulate or lead your mind somewhere that you would not voluntarily choose to go. Right now, I'm sharing an article from uh, an author by the name of uh, John Sanders. This is from the American Institute for Economic Research. 
And this is just the, the finishing part of his article, but tireless propaganda, a warning from C.S. Lewis. And yet this is one of the best things I've read all week long about how freedom is twisted as well. You know, it's just, it's, it's a horrible thing, and it's freedom without repercussions, irresponsible and anarchic, and, you know, you can't call that freedom if you're doing your own thing and everybody else is doing their own thing. Gee, yeah, you know, that's, uh, you're right. If we were all clicking our heels and marching in unison, why, that would be real freedom. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not following their logic. Back to the article. Um, John uh, Sanders says, statist peddling mandates as freedom would give the subservient a day pass to be human again. Call it freedom and denigrate actual freedom. And he says uh, they do that because uh, some people remember the normal normal. This is how C.S. Lewis described it. He says, and if old freedom in our glance betrays itself, he calls it names, dope, wishful thinking or romance till tireless propaganda tames. Ooh, that's a nice turn of phrase. John Sanders says, Our jailer knows well the weakness of our blind wall, that is, remembering we are free. He must therefore constantly defame our old freedom with tireless propaganda. Can enough of us defy being tamed by this relentless onslaught? And if so, how? Well, the answer is in Lewis's final stanza. All but the strong whose hearts they break. All but the few whose faith is whole. Some walls cannot a prison make, half so secure as rigmarole. So what's the message here? John Sanders says it's to stay strong. Keep the faith. In the words of New York City police officers, firefighters, and others currently protesting Mayor Bill de Blasio's vaccine mandate, hold the line. We cannot let statists rigmarole twist our understanding of freedom into something more like a day pass reward from the state for good behavior. In fact, he reminds us, never forget that in the American system, it's the government that holds a restricted day pass from the governed. Boom. That is how political power flows. Our government's power is granted by us for us, which is why government is limited and constitutionally forbidden from taking our individual God-given rights. And John Sanders says, hold the line and remember. I had the privilege a couple of years ago of working with a wonderful organization called uh, the Loving Liberty Foundation. And uh, there's a beautiful uh, hall in uh, Ogden, Utah, Liberty Hall, in which it's a meeting place, a great place for for gatherings of of patriots and education, beautiful commissioned paintings um, that that hang on the walls that depict uh, various aspects of America's heritage and and past. I mean, it's it's really very well thought out. And there's also a beautiful statue of George Washington sitting atop his horse with uh, his hand outstretched, and he's, he's clearly giving a command. And the command is, hold your ground. And we're talking, this is a, this is a monument-sized statue. It's, it's really something. And I've looked at that statue many times and felt inspired by what Washington was saying. And I think it, it comes to mind today for, for the very same reason. Look, we think that we're in this right now and we're so on our own and we've strayed or we're, you know, we've just been, uh, you know, abandoned by the principles and the people of the past. Okay, I... 
I'm going to sound weird for suggesting this, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway, only because I, I, I really believe this. And you don't have to believe it, but from my heart, this is, this is what I sense. The people who wore their lives out in the cause of liberty, who came before us, who put down the foundations upon which others built, creating a, a remarkable nation, a remarkable society, and the greatest amount of human freedom that uh, the world has seen. I think they're still very much a part of that cause of freedom, even though they departed this life a long time ago. I think that they're still very much concerned about the work that they began. And I know, so are you telling us a ghost story, Brian? What I'm telling you is that I believe we actually have more help than, than what we see around us at this time. If you're putting your faith strictly in politicians, I'm sorry, you're going to be disappointed. I know that right now what's making a lot of news headlines is, oh my goodness, Youngkin beats McAuliffe in Virginia. And while that's a good thing, in my conversation with Eric Peters recently, he said, man, it's, it's like taking a choice between drinking dirty ditch water or drinking from the toilet. But he says, you know, for the sake of slowing the juggernaut that is the state, I guess I'll drink from the ditch and uh, let, uh, you know, Terry, the, Terry McAuliffe be the toilet water that goes un, undrunk, undrunken, drank. Anyway, <laughs> I just backed myself into an English conundrum here. Nonetheless, we have help. We have help from people who are, are good, solid, reasonable Patriots who really understand what freedom is that are willing to sacrifice every person you know of or every person you hear of who is willing to walk away from their job rather than knuckle under to an unreasonable demand upon them and upon their body. That's a heroic stand for freedom. That is holding your ground. And without getting, you know, too far off in the weeds here, um, I know I know that God is uh, is on the side of of freedom. I believe it's essential to his plan for happiness for his children. It's the greatest gift he's ever given us. But so few people recognize it for what it is and are willing to stand up and assert it and hold that line. I I see a lot of uh, memories popping up on my Facebook uh, timeline right now. And it's because four years ago, right now, I was in Las Vegas, Nevada, covering the trial of Ammon Bundy, Ryan Bundy, Cliven Bundy, and Ryan Payne. And I learned a lot through that trial. I learned a lot of uncomfortable things about the way that certain agencies within our government have been allowed to operate, the way that they will run roughshod over people. But more importantly, and I thank Ryan Bundy for pointing this out, I learned that the only rights that we have are those rights that we claim, use, and defend. Now, that doesn't mean you just, you know blindly go about claim use defend you know how here i go you have to actually pay the price to know what your rights are so i'm going to ask you without making you too uncomfortable what are you doing today to contribute to your understanding of what your god-given natural rights are and by the way a good rule of thumb if you want to know you know how how can i tell if it's a natural right does it limit government's power over you if the answer is yes then you're probably dealing with a natural right Does it create an obligation for someone else to provide you with something? If that's the case, it is most assuredly not a natural right. So the more familiar you and I can become 
with what our natural rights are and why they matter, the more effective we will be at claiming, using, and defending them. I know, by by invoking the Bundys as, as an example of doing this, for some people, they're going to be like, there's no way. I totally disagree with those guys. And that's fine. I understand not everybody has the same perspective that I have. But having been close personal friends with Ryan Bundy for many, many years, I feel pretty confident in saying he got this right. And I think that as, as, that, as that trial played out and as the events rolled out the way that they did, who expected that the Bundys would be free people? Back to ranching, back to doing what they were doing, peacefully enjoying their rights, which they claimed, which they are using, and which they successfully defended with God's help. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I uh, have to give a quick shout out here to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George. If you are hearing my voice anywhere within the state of Utah, if you're moving to the state of Utah, this is who you really should contact to get your mortgage from a VA loan to traditional loans to reverse mortgages. The Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah, has the stability and the clout to get you the loan you need without delay, which in a very competitive real estate market is everything. Now, you can call Heather at 435-703-4522. Her NMLS ID is 715386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender, and they're located at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George, Utah. Well, among the uh, more disturbing ideas to float to the surface of the uh, Washington, D.C. cesspool is the idea that the wealthy aren't paying their share. And I got a great article here from Thomas Luongo. It's a nice primer on why people are, uh, or why why these ideas are proposed by by politicians in the first place. And in fact, he's just more blunt. He says, "Why dumb ideas never die." He says, "If you think the wealth tax is already in the rearview mirror, please keep your eyes on the road. The beta test is over, but that was just the nose in the tent phase." Democrats' knowledge of wealth is like the old saying about pornography. They know it when they see it, or in Hunter Biden's case, when they film it. But unlike porn, they don't know where it comes from. Also unlike porn, they know wealth has to be destroyed. Because wealth is the thing that negates what they call equity. Egalitarianism wasn't enough. That's making everybody equal. Now we need equal outcomes where each player's deficits are boosted to make the results the same. What better way to make the rich pay their, quote, fair share than by seizing the wealth they obviously must have stolen and then using that to even the playing field. He says it's notable that instead of going after the 2 and 20 of the carried interest set, the Democrats sought a mark-to-market tax on equities. That would be that tax on unrealized gains. It was explained as a way to collect capital gains taxes earlier in order to fund their hyperspend agenda but it was really a way to collect asset estate taxes rather early as it was structurally designed to force the sale of assets and destroy wealth. I think that may be the best definition I've heard yet. Now, the wealth tax failed this time because its mechanics were too dumb. 
That's what you get when you let uh, Senator uh, B.S., obsessed with uh, millionaires and billionaires, and noted Native American Senator Elizabeth Warren, write tax policy. People asked, what happens when the market declines? Does the government cut everyone a check? Ooh. How is something non-fungible like a piece of real estate valued or works of art? What if someone has only one non-financial asset that makes them wealthy? Do they have to sell it to pay the tax? Take out loans? Well, this time they couldn't answer any of those questions, says Thomas Luongo, but the details don't matter. The target does. Real wealth endures and can maintain itself. It's the essence of capitalism, which is why they hate it. Universal, equitable toil is what the left wants for all of us, and anything that allows someone to sit at home and contemplate the universe is anathema. To the salt mines, comrades! Now, he says, I jest, of course. That's gross exaggeration. Since they don't understand biology either, they hate salt, too. So he says, the left lives in an 80s teen comedy where Chad and Buffy is just so obvious, it makes it, it's just so obvious it never has to be explained. But he says, where where you... uh, Bring that to hating Chad and Buffy's zeitgeist into the policy-making sphere. Your laws are still supposed to make at least a modicum of sense. So if wealth was just a pile of gold coins, it might make sense to let Focahontas pilfer a few for the common good. You've got too many. Give me one. You know, just to shut her up. But real wealth has to be evaluated. And if the methods to do so are not clear or even agreed upon, how can the amount of tax be? So he talks about calculating wealth. And Tom Luongo says, market capitalization is not really the amount of money in a market. It's an abstract concept that's pretty defective as a calculation of value. It's the marginal price of a unit of account times the total circulating supply. So this means if we have a thousand widget coins in circulation and you offer me $2 for one of mine, the current widget coin market capitalization is $2,000. But if I have 700 widget coins, he asks, do I really have $1,400 in wealth? And the answer is it depends. If the market is very liquid and widget coins very desirable, maybe. But if I dump 700 out of a total supply of 1,000 on the widget coin market, I will likely break that market. The price of widget coins will probably approach a dollar or lower pretty quick. But Democrats can't understand why a 2% tax on my $1,400 widget coin fortune is unworkable. For some reason, it's an unattainable level of knowledge for them, and we will have no peace until the average person understands this. In fact, he describes it as a class study in envy. Thomas Luongo says, Ask yourself why you know how much money Bill Gates, Elon Musk, or Jeff Bezos have. For years, the richest person in the U.S. has been defined using market cap style math. And this was always so imaginable, so unimaginable numbers could be thrown about in the service of class warfare narratives. And it's not that these people aren't rich. It's that their wealth is almost all in the stock of the companies they founded. So saying Elon Musk is worth $300 billion ignores a few things. Democrats think he has $300 billion in the bank, whereas in reality... Musk has lots of Tesla stock. The fact is, Musk's Tesla shares are not liquid in the same way that a thousand shares of TSLA is in, an, is in an average person's IRA. So as an officer and over 10% holder, there are actually a variety of SEC and other regulatory issues Musk faces when selling stock. 
In many companies, operating agreements further restrict how much founder stock can be sold in a period. Vesting schedules for early employees add more restrictions, and the Democrats know this. They figure Musk can just take out loans against his shares and cut the Treasury a check, or Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos can. I think he meant Bill Gates, but point taken. Smaller founders who still qualify as the evil rich may not have that option. The more serious issue is that when you sell shares, you lose their votes. That is something company founders care deeply about, controlling the companies they started. If you have to sell 2% of your wealth or your shares every year to pay the Bernie and Lizzie tax, how long before you lose control of your company? What an added bonus for those who hate the productive. So for a while, we were asked to believe that fraudster Elizabeth Holmes of the occasionally managed voice was a billionaire. At the time, that was held up as something to be lauded, a great achievement of female entrepreneurship. But Theranos was never worth $9 billion, except in the minds of reporters and first-year MBA graduates. Senior investors don't take early-stage valuations seriously. If you raise $10 million for 5% of your company, you don't have $200 million in the company treasury. And a founder with a 40% with 40% of the cap table doesn't have $80 million in the bank. But this is the kind of wealth, in quotation marks, the Democrats want to tax. Because they're not just insanely jealous, he says, they're also insanely stupid. But are they really? Thomas Luongo says there has to come a time when we stop believing that no one has thought about the unintended consequences. And what he's saying here is the intent is to stop the creation of wealth. And any narrative that serves that goal is on the table. So with every frantic drama the Democrats create, we need to ask, why are they doing this? If they care about the poor, why do they pass policies that create more poverty? If they want to reduce the take of rent seekers, why protect the tax structures that enrich them? If they're motivated to share the wealth, why do they only seek to destroy that which creates it? And the answer is always they just want to get something done, regardless of the cost. So he says, if you think a wealth tax won't affect you because it's only for the rich, don't be surprised when they lower the bar and call it a savings tax next. The sad truth, he says, is that we live on a farm with people who want to eat the seed corn. And if we don't wake up to it, there's not going to be a harvest in a couple of seasons. I like Thomas Luongo's take on stuff. Um, he's, He's got a pretty entertaining way of putting it. There's a link to this in the show notes, which you can check out at thebrianhydeshow.com. And uh, again, if you want to dive a little bit deeper, he's got some great links to follow as well that will take you uh, further down the rabbit hole. So when we come back on the other side of the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about people choosing between their livelihood and their conscience when it comes to the vax mandates. I want to share a couple of thoughts from a teacher recently fired from his position in California for refusing to get, uh, get vaccinated. Also... We'll talk about uh, keeping in perspective the anger and hatred that's being directed toward the unvaxxed and why it's essential that we understand this is coming from a place of emotion. It's not coming from a place of reason. And more importantly, we should not return railing for railing just because somebody else is being unreasonable and angry with us. Oh, I know that's that's a lot easier said than done. But if our if our goal really is protecting freedom of conscience and our personal autonomy we got to take the high road on this one just saying 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I hope you'll go to my show notes page at thebrianhydeshow.com. Spend a little bit of time with my sponsors. If Look, if you don't need what they are selling at the moment or what the product or service is they're offering, I bet you will at some point. Or maybe you know somebody who needs it right now. Maybe consider pointing them in the right direction. Especially at lifesavingfood.com. Man, I'm telling you, this is, this is such a timely period to get yourself a little more self-reliant. And please understand, there are some shipping delays now due to some of the breakdowns in the supply chain. Uh, Kendall, who's the owner of LifesavingFood.com, asked me to pass that on to you. There, there's still inventory available. Prices are beginning to go up, just like you're seeing at the grocery store. But you're not going to find a better time to, to get going on that food storage, to bolster your existing food storage system, or to get started. And you'll get a nice 20% discount if you use my name, Hyde, H-Y-D-E, as your coupon code at checkout. Well, more and more people are having to choose between their livelihoods and their consciences when it comes to the vaccine mandates. Saw a great article from Joshua Mahorter. This is uh, called, I was fired for my teaching job for refusing to get vaccinated. And I want you to just hear the, the reasoning that he goes through here. Why would a person walk away from a job, you know, when obviously, you know, it'd be easier to just take the jab and, and, you know, stay gainfully employed. Well, Joshua Mahorter says, until recently, I was a California teacher working in two charter schools. One is a full-time classroom teacher of government and economics and sometimes U.S. history, and the other is a part-time independent study teacher who assists families with a program primarily based around homeschooling. He says, I've taught for about five years and I love teaching. Last week, I was fired from one school and put on unpaid administrative leave at the other because of my refusal to either take and demonstrate proof of the COVID-19 vaccine or test weekly. I even filed a religious exemption stating the following that was rejected. As a committed follower of Christ, I religiously and philosophically cannot submit to either a government vaccine mandate or weekly testing. These violate fundamental first principles, including biblical purview of civil government relative to God. And he cites the the appropriate scriptures. The Christian value of freedom of conscience, since whatever is not from faith is sin. The fact that my body is owned and dedicated to the Lord and not to the state, and my sacred duty to be faithful to oaths sworn, including the oath to support the U.S. Constitution and California State Constitution. And there's a footnote in his declaration here that says both a vaccine mandate and weekly testing are in violation of the provisions of the Constitution in the First, Fourth, Ninth, and Tenth Amendments, especially the Ninth Amendment, which states the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. The Supreme Court has affirmed a constitutional right to privacy historically in Griswold v. Connecticut, 1965. Since I am bound by a solemn oath to support the Constitution, I can neither submit to nor support a vaccine mandate or weekly testing because to do so would violate conscience. Now he says, based on my refusal to back down on these principles, I was offered two options, the opportunity to resign or be terminated. In order to force the issue, I chose to maintain my position, refusing to resign, so I was terminated. 
My situation was kind of the mirror opposite of the old joke adage, you can't fire me, I quit. Instead, I basically said to my employers, I can't quit, you fire me. Now, not everybody's in the position to force the issue, but he says, I am. And I felt I had no choice. It would be incongruous with what I consistently teach my students for me to back down and comply in a matter of rights, liberty, and principles. A quote often attributed to, misattributed to Thomas Jefferson, but nevertheless true, applies, in matters of style, swim with the current. In matters of principle, stand like a rock. He says, I hope I would still have the character to stand by my principles, even if my situation was more dire. However, there are some concrete actions and disciplines which protect me now. First, an emergency fund that can cover three to six months of expenses. Second, I have no debt. Third, my expenses are minimal. Fourth, I possess plenty of social capital, that is, positive social relationships with family, friends, and my community. Now, he says, I encourage every reader to follow these disciplines and practices as soon as possible. Because the time has come to stand for principles, and these are just a few things that can help you do so with confidence. He says, personally, over the next year, I will take this as an opportunity to become completely self-employed and to help other people find financial freedom because, as we know, it is inextricably connected with personal and political freedom. There's great freedom in the ability to say no and walk away. Of all the pressures that make situations like this difficult, financial pressure is often one of the most challenging. Financial stability, financial freedom, and long-term wealth are simple, but not easy. It's been rightly said that finances are 20% knowledge and 80% behavior, and a monthly budget is essential in this regard. Contrary to popular belief, a budget is not just a constraint, but rather taking full control of your money by knowing exactly how each dollar is being spent. Now, as the saying goes, a budget is simply telling your money where to go versus wondering where it went. This gives people a sense of ownership, control, and empowerment. A budget involves the regular discipline of saying no to ourselves so that if and when the time comes, we can say no when our workplaces attempt to implement policies and expect us to comply because of the financial pressure. And this is a home run in additionally, in order to additionally, rather, he says, in order to protect yourself, Dave Ramsey recommends building a thousand dollar emergency fund and paying off all debt minus real estate, then building up savings that uh, then building up savings that cover three to six months of expenses. I mean, can you see the wisdom of this now? Joshua Mahorder says a little bit of discipline today can lead to freedom tomorrow and the ability to walk away even from a job you love when your conscience demands it. I know, that's a tough one. But I think the the peace of mind that comes with having that conscience being followed and adhered to is probably worth it. Still, I'm sad for the pain that some of these people are having to go through. All right, one final thought here, and this is just kind of an afterthought here. The anger and hatred that is being encouraged towards the unvaxxed, it's daunting. But we got to keep it in perspective. And in fact, we have to be certain we're not mirroring it back at the people perpetuating it. Steve Apfel reminds us that hatred is coming from emotion, not reason. And he says, when COVID braving Dennis Prager said he contracted it purposely in order to be taken care of by therapeutics, the public outcry was more life-threatening than the virus. He must be made to pay for any treatment he gets. He should be denied a hospital bed. 
Another conservative talk show host spreads his disease. Every story speaks of a mini plague and every ending is a blameworthy death. Is fear driving the paranoia? What's to hate in someone who makes a choice and takes the consequences and is content to let others do so? And why is it doctors who seem more prone to arousal? The unvaccinated are despised with incomprehensible ardor. Take Dr. Clive Shaketti, uh, whose brother died from or with COVID. Dr. Shaketti certainly deserves condolences because losing a brother is a terrible loss. However, he decided to create a video lashing out at others, and he can't hide from critiques about his words. Grief is not a defense to error or irrationality. Now, when the video starts, his manner is sedate, his words are are deliberate, and his voice controlled. I have no political agenda or investments in any vaccine-making company, but I, as a physician, have an obligation to try to help to save people's lives. And he spends a few moments, you know, explaining why vaccines are low-risk, etc., but soon he grows vindictive. A beloved brother had not been vaccinated, and he's beside himself. His words, his manner, and his voice would curdle milk. This doctor is bent on reprisal. For the passing of that precious brother who wouldn't get jabbed, the unvaxxed are going to bear the brunt. If you're not getting vaccinated, he says, you're like someone who drinks and drives. Maybe you'll get away with it. Maybe you won't kill yourself or others on the road. Perhaps you will. But the unvaxxed should have to sign a directive. No vaccination, no intubation, no medicine. 10,000 guilt-ridden and scapegoating hatreds could be eating up the grieving doctor. Now, from here, the author goes through, and and, uh, Steve Apfel makes a very strong case for, look, you got to show some patience when you're dealing with people who are coming from that place of um, emotion. Pleading, you know, well, if, if you guys don't do this, you know, you're an evil person. They're not coming at it from a rational place. And you've got to be able to let that roll off your back and, and shrug it off as, as opposed to, you know, wallowing in it. Fear is what drives a lot of people. And I think that uh, Zuby, the, uh, the rapper, said it best. He says, I feel like the last 20 months have been people trying to convince me to be as afraid as they are and then getting angry at me when I refuse to be as afraid as they are. Okay, so get, getting mad back at them, not the way. If you're going to lead, lead with calmness, lead with courage. Above all, lead with love. It may seem like the difference you're making is imperceptible, but I promise you're making a difference. This is The Brian Hyde Show.